Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome to Believe in Betting, a Sports Garden Network production. We are your source for sports entertainment, incredible sports intelligence. And now, here's your host, Tom Barton. All right, guys, welcome back to another episode of Believe in Betting on the Believe Podcast Network, a Sports Garden Network production. Guys, what an absolute start to the season. We are heading into week three. It doesn't feel like it at all. It feels like the season just kind of started, but it's sneaking up on us. We're already into week three. This is the time of year that we have to kind of determine, do, do we trust what we just watched, or are these teams going to kind of revert back? It's easy to throw away week one and say, okay, well, you know what? It's just one week. No big deal. But now you're into week two. These are kind of trends. So I want to go over every single game. Make sure that you go check us out at sportsgarden.com. Hashtag SGN as well. Sportsgarden over on Facebook and Twitter. All right, let's get into the games right away here. Steelers, Browns. The Steelers are now going to be underdogs for three straight weeks. This line is all the way up to five and a half. People are all over the Cleveland Browns after their absolute meltdown. I think one of the things that you have to make sure that you take into account in this game is is simply the idea that how, <laughs> I mean, are we sitting here and really thinking to ourselves, how can Cleveland come back from the devastating loss that they had? Nick Chubb, who scored three touchdowns in the game, sat at his locker and was saying the loss was his fault. Because he didn't go down and he scored a touchdown. I mean, that's the mentality of a losing organization, of a loser team. And that's the Cleveland Browns. Now, through two weeks, the Browns and the Steelers, they each played two games. All four of those games have been decided by three points or less. This is a series that you think to yourself, okay, the Steelers absolutely dominated. But it's Ben Roethlisberger that dominated. And people talk about Roethlisberger dominating. And it's Roethlisberger this and it's Roethlisberger that. The reality is, is that Tomlin was on the sidelines as well. Mike Tomlin is now 41-24 as an underdog. He absolutely crushes it as an underdog. Now, he did lose last week. Steelers were getting two and a half points. But even in that game, Gunnar Olszewski, uh, the special teams player, muffed that punt. If not, the Steelers probably win that game and certainly cover. They only lost by three in a game that they played terribly. Mitch Trubinsky threw for just 168 yards, and that's kind of how he's looked. I mean, he just has not looked good. The Browns, we know what they're going to do. They're going to run the ball. They rushed 184 yards and three touchdowns. Okay? They lead the league in rushing yards and second only to the Eagles in rushing touchdowns. We're going to see that. They're going to run. They're going to run the ball right up the middle. A guy like Miles Jack, who's got 14 and 10 tackles in the first two weeks, vitally important in the middle. Can't get run over, right? Miles Jack's got to clog that hole. That's what the Steelers need. The underdog is 4-0 against the spread last four meetings, by the way, in this matchup. Again, tough divisional matchup. You expect close games. Cleveland at home, 1-5 against the spread the last six. Okay, but they do have a tendency to play well on Thursday night games. They get a lot of Thursday games for whatever reason. It seems it always seems like the Texans, Jacksonville, uh, you know, Cleveland, the, these are the Thursday night games. But they get another one here. They're 8-3 against the spread on Thursday night games. They always perform well, it seems. The Steelers, for their against-the-spread numbers, how about this? They 3-1-1 against the spread the last five games overall. 4-0 against the spread the last four games against a divisional opponent. They own that division. And it's a lot of that is Tomlin. You don't have to like Mitch Trubinsky 
And you don't have to like this Pittsburgh team to think that they could play well in a Thursday night matchup against a team that's just going to run the ball. I mean, look, this has 2017 written all over it. And the total will tell you that. The total is under 40, 39 and a half. They expect a lot of running. They expect a close game. And I do too. I don't expect much from Mitch Trubinsky at this point. And I think that the cheering of Kenny Pickett that, by the way, the Steelers said, oh, we didn't hear that yet. Uh, that only means that the Pittsburgh crowd's going to get louder next time. Kenny Pickett should probably be the starter. Just throw him into the fire at this point. But a lot of this is also Najee Harris, who just is not creating afterwards. He's got a negative 41 run differential, which means he's supposed to be minus 41 yards. I read a ridiculous stat that Joe Burrow has actually been sacked for more yards lost than Najee Harris's game. Najee Harris looks terrible out there, and you could blame the offensive line, but if you're the lead back and a guy that is supposed to be Najee Harris, you've got to make contact afterwards. This Cleveland defense we thought was going to be good. We thought this Cleveland defense was going to be a good defense. They haven't been, especially against the Jets. To lose that like that to a Joe Flacco-led team, and I know it's a new Jets team, but come on, Miles Garrett could not get home. And if you are looking at this Cleveland defense and thinking that it was what it was last year, you're sorely mistaken. I'm shocked that this line went up from 3.5 to 5.5. I just think we're going to get a close game. All right, let's go to Sunday. Saints, Panthers, another divisional matchup here. Panthers are 0-2. Uh, they're 0-2, but they've lost by a combined five points. Carolina's right in these games. I mean, they just are. The Saints are a three-point favorite in this one. It is the proverbial three-point favorite. James Winston has like four broken bones in his back, but he's playing and he's out there. Alvin Kamara probably not going to play this week. Uh, so you're starting to look at the Saints are a wounded duck. The Panthers are just not playing effectively well. The Saints have done really well in Carolina. They are 6-2 and two against the spread the last eight meetings on the road there. So they own Carolina in Carolina. The underdog, by the way, 12-4 and four against the spread the last 16. These are another grouping of games where you just go, look, I think it's going to be a close game. You can't sit back and tell me you have full confidence in a Saints team that has Jameis Winston at quarterback, that has no Alvin Kamara. You can't have full confidence in this team to do anything. Now, defensively, they've played well defensively. Uh, you you know, look at a situation where it was the Lattimore-Evans uh, you know, kind of situation, but they, they held Brady down. I mean, they held that offense down. And I don't care how many problems the Bucks have. You do that against anybody, it doesn't matter. It's an impressive, impressive defensive performance by the Saints. And the Panthers, look, they haven't been bad defensively. Brian Burns is a beast. Jeremy Chin hasn't had a great season to start. I think they're using him wrong. They're using him uh, more in coverage than in the box, and he's an in-the-box safety. But I still think that the Panthers have an explosive defense. Here goes another one. Another one of those games where, can I see 2017 all day long? Yeah, I certainly can, especially with the injuries that we're talking about. How about a bad game here? Uh, just uh, this should be an ugly, ugly game. Bears are giving three to the Texans. Texans are 0-1-1. Bears are 1-1. Look, I have followed the Texans in week one. told everybody, uh, not only did I put them in my Westgate contest picks, I also told everybody on the air, look, I like the Texans. At the time, they were plus eight and a half. It went down to plus seven. It didn't matter. I was in Vegas. I put them on my ticket. I made money off of them. Last week, I said, you know, 10 points is just too much. I, I mean, Denver could win but I kind of like the Texans to play close. I feel like this is another spot against the Bears here where the Texans are the underdogs, and I'm going, I don't know if they win, but I can't give any points with the Chicago Bears. I just can't. Look, I'm a Bears fan, guys, and I can't give any points with this team. Houston's defense, a defense that I said in the preseason 
well, their offense might be okay, but in the in, in the preseason, can you name a can you name three defensive players on this team? Well, they're starting to make you know their name. Derek Stingley Jr., their first round draft pick, looks phenomenal out there, and teams just keep testing him, and he keeps going. Okay, I'm coming up. I'm stepping up to the test. They were able to shut down Russell Wilson in the Broncos' offense. They held them to just 16 points. Now, again. That was a lot of problems about Russell Wilson, but Houston looked good. Houston looked good against Indy. And you look at Denver and Indy in a different light than you did a couple of weeks ago, but it's still an impressive feat. The Texans, by the way, they are 5-1 and one against the spread over the last six games. People keep doubting them, and they keep coming up. You also have to take into effect there is a little bit of emotion in this game. Yeah, Lovey Smith is going to return. Lovey Smith was fired from the Chicago Bears after winning 10 games. As a Bears fan, I was screaming, why would you get rid of Lovey Smith? Since then, they've been through a collection of stiffs at, at head coach. They haven't been able to find it. Lovey returns with the Texans in a chance where he can win. Don't downgrade that. The players know it. Lovey knows it. His staff certainly knows it. Then you look at the Bears. Look, the Bears are very simple. They are a talented defensive group. I like these young kids. Brisker looks good. Um... Fuller's replacement looks pretty good. Jalen Johnson is at a lockdown corner. Roquan Smith, you know, he hasn't played well. I'll be honest with you. He's got the numbers. He hasn't played tremendously well. Robert Quinn has played great. Murrow in the middle. Defensively, they got some stuff working in Chicago. It, it's a young group, but defensively, they have things working. They really did stifle Green Bay. I mean, Green Bay was able to run on them, but they stifled Green Bay for most of that game. And they had a chance in that game to kind of scare the Packers because of that great defense. Offensively, they just can't do anything. By the way, Justin Fields was in. That was a touchdown. We know that. But overall, Justin Fields, they're just not letting him be the guy. And you start to wonder, a new coaching staff, new kind of situation, new general manager. They didn't. This, this isn't Justin Fields. This isn't the guys that wanted Justin Fields, we'll say. And they're not letting him be Justin Fields. I wonder what's going on in practice because Justin Fields, 17 attempts, 17 attempts in the crazy wind rain and slosh you go okay all right i could live with that but okay then 11 attempts when you're trying to catch up against green bay 11 attempts the bears have completed 10 passes or fewer two weeks in a row you cannot go with the chicago bears in this spot no matter what i i, I don't love the texans because i don't think they could do what the bears are vulnerable at but, man, how, how can you dare take the Chicago Bears? Cole Komet at zero fantasy points in the first two weeks, right? Cole Komet had one target, one target last week. Where has he gone? Daryl Mooney, just just absent. Well, when you compete, complete less than 10 passes, I guess that's what you expect. How about Chiefs and Colts? Chiefs look fantastic. I told you guys all offseason long, everybody I spoke to laughed about the notion that Tyreek Hill was a big difference maker. They said it doesn't matter. He's going to spread the ball around, that being Patrick Mahomes, and that's exactly what he's done. 2-0. and The Colts are 0-1-1, and they really should be 0-2. The Colts have looked absolutely terrible. They have nothing working offensively, and I screamed to the hilt about their defense. They lost their defensive coordinator. They lost assistance. They lost their middle linebacker. They lost all four of their starting defensive backs. You can't just assume that this Colts defense is going to be the same, but offensively is where they're struggling. Matt Ryan looks old. Suddenly, he looks like the bad fit there. They forgot Jonathan Taylor was even on the team, apparently, and Michael Pittman's been out, and it looks like Michael Pittman's going to be out. This opening line was two and a half, okay? That means the, the line before the season began, it was two and a half, jumped up all the way. It's sitting at six and a half right now. That is dramatic that people are realizing how bad this Colts team can be. The Chiefs, meanwhile, get an extra couple of days of rest here. 
following a win, the Chiefs are nine and three against the spread the last twelve games. So they give them a little extra time. We know, uh, you know, after a win, the Chiefs start rolling nine and three. Indy zero and four against the spread the last four. They have not played well, and people just continue to overrate them. Kansas City though is not a great road team. Since twenty twenty, they are eight and ten against the spread. They are not a great road team. Uh, if you want to look for something here, I, I think that the over under is a little light. It's set at 49, 49 and a half or so. The over in Chiefs games, road games, 11 and 7, and they average about 53 points per game. If, if the Colts are going to do anything here, they've got to get on the scoreboard. Teams that get shut out the week before generally are the fade team. They're generally kind of that team that you're going away from. Uh, not in this spot. I think you need to sit back and you have to score not only some points, but a bunch of points in this spot. Lions 1-1, one one, Vikings 1-1, one one. Vikings are still six-point favorites at home. Look, Kirk Cousins, he does what he does, which is lose in prime time. Kirk Cousins is now 2-10 and ten on Monday Night Football, the worst record in history for anybody that's played and started at the quarterback position 10 times on Monday Night Football. He's 2-10, and ten, miserable. But he does well at home, and he does well against the Lions. The home team is 4-1 against the spread the last five meetings. The Lions are are playing well. The Lions are that team you don't want to give points to now because they seem to always play close. They come back. They cover. They were against the spread darlings last year. They seem to be doing it again here. The Vikings, though, they're good at home. They've covered four of the last five games at home. They play well there. And you could look at the Lions and say, look, they, they, they've put up 35 points in back-to-back games here. That's the first time they've done that since 2011. Um, but they were a team that, you know, they're getting away from their identity to get those 35 points. Well, that could be dangerous, and that could also be fo- fall into the Vikings' favor because they're going to be able to get at to, after them with Daniel Hunter and, and whatnot. I think the key to this game is not Justin Jefferson, who you know is going to feast on those weak cornerbacks because the Lions do have some very weak corners. Justin Jefferson is going to feast. Thielen's going to get his. Osborne will get his. And Kirk Cousins will throw for 300 yards and look good. I mean, we know that. But I think the key to this game is Dalvin Cook. Dalvin Cook is averaging 5.5 targets per game. Okay, so Dalvin Cook is now more than just a guy that's running into the middle of the line and being able to create. No, he's getting out in space and you get him the ball out in space. That's always a pretty good thing, no matter what. This is one of those those spots here for me that I expect the Vikings to have a big game, a big bounce back game on Monday night. But I am weary because it is a road game. I don't like giving up six points in a road game. If you're in one of these survivor contests, I think the Vikings walk away with a win. And the Detroit Lions seem a little bit overhyped right now. Detroit has gone out there. They were getting their doors blown off by Philly. Oh, wait, they came back and barely made it a game. Okay, you know what? But let's not forget that they were getting their doors blown off against Washington. Oh, they had a huge lead. And then Washington started kind of coming back. I think that this is the Lions team that you're going to get. It's going to be a lot of ups and downs. It's going to be a lot of kind of, oh, wait a minute. Uh, Yeah, they're almost in the game. Oh, but they have shown us now for two years, right? We're going on to year number two of Dan Campbell that this team is a great covering team. If this line was like three, two and a half or three, I'd be all over Minnesota. And like I said, I think that they win. I'm going to put him in a picks contest. I may put him in a contest for the survival pool. I think that they win the game because they are at home, and Kirk Cousins does do well at home. But against the Lions in this spot, I just hate laying that six points. They've gotten to that point where the Lions are a scary team when you're talking about covering. Washington is just... They're one of those weird teams. They shouldn't have won game one, and I feel like they should have won game two, except they're one and one. They almost pulled off that huge late rally against the Lions. They scored 27 points in the second half. Kirk Cousins, 
I'm sorry, uh, Carson Wentz looked absolutely fantastic late in that game. The home team is 3-0-1 against the spread, and Philly is 0-3-1 against the spread against Washington over the last two years. Washington's had their number. Washington is also 4-1-1 against the spread the last six games following a loss. They bounce back really well. This is less of a game to me that is, it's less of Jalen Hurts against Carson Wentz. It's less of the explosiveness that everybody wants to show. The three receivers from Washington that are all looking pretty good, plus Logan Thomas. The receiving, you know, with Smith one week and then Brown the other week and what Jalen Hurts could do on offense. To me, it's defense against defense here. And the reality is, is that this should be almost a touchdown spread by Philadelphia because their defense is far superior. Washington's trying to hold things together, but you watched it in week one against Jacksonville, and then you watched it here against Detroit early on. They are missing Chase Young desperately. They're still missing a a defensive back. They're just banged up, guys. They're just banged up. I can't take this team. Even though the stats say that it's a divisional game and you don't want to lay those points, and coming off of a Monday night win on a short week, divisional game, on the road. Look, every making of a sports handicapper says take Washington all day. I just can't do it, not with that defense, no. They're just playing too well. Which brings me to the Buffalo Bills. It's the same situation. Look, Dolphins are 2-0. and Everyone's on the Dolphins bandwagon. Buffalo is 2-0. Coming off a huge Monday night win, on a short week, traveling to a division opponent, and they're giving 5.5 points. But Buffalo just looks like the best team in the league. I mean, I thought that they would look this good. But even they're impressing me. The Buffalo Bills have beaten the defending Super Bowl champion Rams and handled them with ease. They beat last year's number one overall seed and humiliated them. They've beaten these teams 72-17 to combined back to back. The Dolphins, look, they are coming off of an absolute ridiculous comeback. 21-point lead in the fourth quarter where Tua just went absolutely nuts. Tua went Dan Marino on us. He came back. He looked really good. Six touchdown passes, 469 yards, and he earned every one of those yards. Miami, 6-1 against the spread at home. They like Hard Rock Stadium. They were playing really well there. But the Bills have owned this matchup, and we have to dig into that. I know it's a new coaching regime. I know it's new players. I know that. But the Bills absolutely own them. And not only the Bills, but Josh Allen. There are certain things in sports, right? We know Brady owns the Bills. Ben owns Cleveland. Well, it's starting to be Josh Allen owns Miami. The Bills are 3-1-1 one, one against us by the last five meetings. But here goes Josh Allen. The Bills have won seven straight games against Miami. Seven straight. They are averaging 19 points per game. I, I mean, they're... they're Averaging winning by more than 19 points per game. They don't win. They blow them out. Josh Allen has thrown multiple touchdown passes in every game he's ever played against the Dolphins. That's huge. The Dolphins, look, you could talk about their four touchdowns in the fourth quarter, but they've scored only a total of four in seven other quarters here. Okay, so we're going back to the history here. Bills, nine straight games scoring 27 or more points dating back to last year in the playoffs. 31-41 this year, 30-plus points in four straight games. Their offense is just unbelievable. And since 2020, uh, you start to look at how much they own it. it. Look, the Bills are just that team. The Bills are not staying. You're, you're not containing the Bills. This Dolphins defense, we talk about the comeback, and the comeback was great, and we have a good time with the comeback. Oh, that, that was fantastic on the Dolphins defense uh, to come back. Yeah, it, you know what? The Ravens still put up nearly 40 points on you, okay? And the Ravens can't run. And the Ravens, for most of the game, can't, can't pass. I mean, 
you're looking at this game and you're going, the total set at 53. I, I have to wait for the Bills' injuries because like guys like Micah Hyde got injured. Uh, of course, somebody got carried out in an ambulance. You know, and then Nickelback, he's going to be okay, actually, which is good. I mean, they had a lot of injuries to the defensive backs, and I think that if you have Hill and Waddle, you expect them to score. The Bills are holding teams to just 17 points per game this year. I think that it will be a high-scoring game, but in a high-scoring game, do you want Allen or do you want Tua? I know the line is a little hefty. I know they're coming off a Monday night blowout. I know that they're on the road. I know it's a division game. I get all that. But this seems like just a Bills juggernaut that will not have that slip-up game. Ravens, Patriots, both of them sitting at 1-1. One one. Ravens feeling like they should be 2-0. and oh. Ravens are a three-point favorite. Uh, look, they just, I mean, what can you say? They just absolutely collapsed. I mean, they collapsed. They let a 21-point lead go by the wayside, and they cannot run the ball. Lamar Jackson looks great. I told you guys, I liked him for the MVP. He had three touchdown passes. He rushed for almost an 80-yard touchdown, 79-yard score in that one. Baltimore is 7-3 against the spread the last 10 games. After a loss, they bounced back really well. Uh, Harbaugh has had plenty of success against Belichick. But it is up in Foxborough, and the Patriots are that team. Last week, I told you I liked the Steelers. I leaned them, but they were dangerous to me, and I didn't understand the spread. Myself and uh, my, my partner, Tim, and my Vegas show were sitting back talking, well, why, why, why is it spread like this? We don't believe in traps, but this seems trappy. You know, this was a weird one. Well, the Patriots do what the Patriots do. When gross, ugly, weird games where Mac Jones was injured and they needed a special teams play to kind of seal it away, but that's how they win. They're a dangerous, dangerous squad here, guys. So I like the Ravens. It's three, three and a half. I like the Ravens. I hate the hook, and it's still up in Foxborough. How about Bengals and Jets? Bengals are 0-2. Here's another one. Another one of these things where I saw it coming. I told everybody. I told everybody that would listen. Bengals are going to have a down year this year. Bengals are not making the playoffs. I came back and I said that in July, and I repeated it in August. And then right before the game, right that Saturday night before opening kickoff, I said, guys, the Bengals are going to be down this year. And I got so much pushback on the Bengals. Oh, come on, Tom. Look, they're 0-2. And they look as bad as I thought that they would look. I mentioned it earlier. Joe Burrow has more sacks, sack yardage lost than Najee Harris has running. I mean, Joe Burrow took six more sacks last week, seven in the first game. Through two games, he's gotten, he's taken 13 sacks. He has four interceptions. He lost a fumble. His, he's averaging 4.6 net yards per attempt. Joe Burrow looks terrible, but it's not necessarily his fault. It's the offensive line. Now they take on the New York Jets. Well, well, in New York, Cincinnati does not play well. Everybody remembers last year. I know it was a Super Bowl team. They lost to New York. And the Bengals are 1-5 against the spread in New York or New Jersey. We'll call it East Rutherford. Um, they just don't do well there. The New York Jets, meanwhile, they're throwing the ball all over the place. 59 attempts in the first game. 40-some-odd uh, attempts in the second game. I mean, Jeff Flacco's just throwing it all over the place. And they have some some players here. They beat up on a Browns team that we thought that they had a good defense. They ran around. They scored two touchdowns following the two-minute warning. It was improbable by the New York Jets, but should we put so much into it? Because the Jets are 2-5 and five against the spread the last seven at home. 1-5 and five against the spread the last six games following a win. They don't win consistently. They don't win back-to-back. It's just one of those teams that I have a hard time taking, even if you're giving me six points in this spot. I have a hard time believing in the Jets. I still do. I think Joe Flacco gives them a little a little bit of juice here. If there's something I'm looking at, look, the over-under set at 44.5. I don't understand this at all. The Bengals are going to score points. I mean, you could talk about the Jets all you want. Um, Nick Chubb ran wild on them. 
absolutely wild on them. Uh, the Baltimore Ravens didn't go crazy, but they still scored nearly 30 points on them. Cincinnati's going to take their sacks, but Joe Burrow's going to get his. Uh, for me to sit back and think that the Jets are going to hold the Bengals to under 20 points, that's foolhardy. I think that the Bengals score into the mid-20s or upper 20s. And if I think it's going to be a close game, the Cincinnati defense has not performed well, I think the Jets are good for like 20. So I, I have this game absolutely you know, sitting there in, in a real good position to not only go over, but this game could be played well over. The Bengals could get into the 30s and the Jets into the high 20s, and we are this becomes a laughing over. I'm surprised that the line is set so low. How about Raiders, Titans, 0-2 against 0-2? I mentioned the stat before. It's been three years since an 0-2 team actually made the playoffs. The last 18 teams to go 0-2 did not make the playoffs. The Titans were the number one seed overall last year. The Raiders were in the playoffs last year. Both of them are staring at 0-3. Look, if the numbers for 0-2 are bad, I can even imagine the numbers for 0-3. The Raiders look bad because they cannot run the ball. Their offensive line is bad, and Derek Carr's not playing well. I mean, let's just put it out there. But their defense is also one of those spots where if they don't, and I mentioned this last week, guys, I'll mention this again. If they don't get to the quarterback, you could run on them. You could throw intermediate on them. You can have a huge advantage. You you could do anything you want. They've got to get that huge pressure. They brought in Chandler Jones to do exactly that. Vegas is one and five against the last against the spread the last six games following a loss. So they continue and they're one and four against the spread on the road. Now you're going to Tennessee. Everybody watched Tennessee be humiliated. That, that's exactly what they were. Tennessee was absolutely humiliated on Monday Night Football. They were dragged up and down the field by Buffalo, humiliated on national TV. The Buffalo Bills had their replacement players in. I mean, all of them. Not only just the quarterback, all of their replacement players in by the fourth quarter. It was a blowout of epic proportions. Derrick Henry could not do a thing. Derrick Henry looked old. Derrick Henry looked normal. Derrick Henry looked average. Now, all of a sudden, they're getting two points at home. They're getting two points at home, not because they've played worse than the Raiders, because the Raiders are owned to also. The Raiders let up a late you know, score. The Raiders had a game like the Titans had in game one, where they had the game fully in hand, and then they lost it. Not because they played worse, but because they did it on a grand stage, and they did it on Monday Night Football, and everybody saw how bad and out of sync this team was. I still believe in Mike Vrabel. I still believe that Coach Vrabel is a better coach than <laughs> Josh McDaniels, who has proven that. I still believe that Derrick Henry has something left in the tank. I don't think Derrick Henry got old overnight. I believe Derrick Henry is going to be angry. If you remember, Mike Vrabel said to him before last game, you left a lot of meat on the bone out there. Oh, man, that's a challenge to Derrick Henry. I still believe that this Tennessee defense is not near nearly as bad as they looked last week, and they played very effectively against uh, the Giants. The problem is they couldn't stop the run against the Giants, and then they ran into basically just Josh Allen. Well, the Raiders don't have Josh Allen, and the Raiders certainly don't have Saquon Barkley. I'm looking at this, and I'm going, man, I think that this line is way off. The Titans should be favored here. I don't know how they're not favored at home in this spot. The Raiders have not done anything to impress me this year. The Titans, yeah, I know. They got beaten up. Monday Night Football, it was terrible. In full view of everybody, I get it. All right, terrible, horrible. Oh, they're atrocious. I understand all that. I I think that it's the overreaction coming to the surface here. 
All right, let's talk Jags, Chargers, 1-1, one 1-1. And one, one and one. The Jaguars, the team that I predicted to win this South Division, have looked very good. They should be 2-0. and oh. Trevor Lawrence looks crisp out there. I don't want to say he looks great. He looks crisp. He started the game off. He was 10 of 10, wound up just with great stats, even though they weren't mind-blowing three, 400 yards passing. He didn't need to be. He was precision out there. The Chargers, well, it's all about the rib cage of Justin Herbert, right? Does he play in this game? We have watched over the course of the week. He's taking it very slow in practice. They have not announced if he's going to play or not. And I say that because normally I would say, oh, of course he's going to play. He's going to gut it through. He'll play. But the Chargers know they have bigger things this season. Where the Jaguars want to win the division, of course, and get to a playoff team, they they are they're, look, they're real with themselves. We're not winning the Super Bowl. Chargers feel like we're going to win the Super Bowl. But we're not going to do that unless we have Justin Herbert. The Chargers are also have to be realist and look at the Jaguars and say, hey, look, we're seven and a half point favorites. By the way, seven and a half points with the, the Herbert thing laying out there. We're seven and a half point favorites against this team at home. We should beat them. And we might be able to beat them even without Justin Herbert. So I'm not 100% convinced Herbert plays in this one. But even banged up, he looked pretty good. Seven and a half is a lot, though. Jacksonville is 0-5 against the spread the last five road games. It's it's a new Jacksonville team. And the Chargers 7-3 against the spread after a loss. They bounced back really well. Look, the Chargers had extra days to prepare. Okay? The Chargers should be more than a touchdown favorite in this spot. I'm just wondering uh, what kind of Jacksonville team we are really witnessing because I thought that they should have won the game against Washington and I thought they played really well and I was touting their defense and screaming about their defense but their defense kind of failed them late last week they pitched a shutout against a Colts team that just can't do really anything but they didn't have to face in both of those games they didn't have to face that unbelievable prolific Justin Herbert type attack I mean they they have now taken on Matt Ryan, who's clearly aging and, and just not a fit in that offense, and Carson Wentz, who nobody wanted in the offseason. So now they go up and they get Herbert. You have to make this all about Herbert. I lean Jacksonville because I think that they're going to be the team all year long that kind of just blows people's bankrolls by going against them and saying it's the same old Jags. But I don't absolutely love them in this spot. Just not a situation. Look, I think the Jacksonville Jaguars' future is absolutely bright. Okay, I like them plus the seven and a half here, but if Herbert plays, I don't like them as much. If you want to jump on the seven and a half right now and hope that Herbert doesn't play, I understand that, but I wouldn't load up on them because seven and a half doesn't seem like that much if you're taking on a Chargers team on the road after a shutout. Jacksonville is a young team. It's going to be interesting to see how Peterson prepares them and, and moves down you know, the line with this team and able to kind of continue. All right, guys, let's continue on. We got to continue through these games here. and We have uh, all the late games left to play. We have to keep an eye on that Herbert thing, but let's talk about Rams and Cardinals. One and one, one and one. Rams bounce back, but did they? I mean, did they? The Rams, this was supposed to be a one-point spread. Now it's up to four and a half, and people are against the Cardinals despite their late loss. Look, the Cardinals were very much right there, staring at 0-2 in the face, except Scoop score. We saw what happened against the Raiders. The Rams had that game completely in hand, and then they could not seal it away against Atlanta. They did win, and it is one and one, but the Rams have not looked like the regular Rams. Rams, though, they have absolutely owned this Cardinals team. They're 9-1-1 the last 11 meetings overall. They are 7-0 and against the spread in Arizona. They absolutely own and dominate this Cardinals team. 
The Cardinals, they're 2-6 and six against the spread the last eight games overall. People are overrating the Cardinals, it seems, time in and time out. And a lot of that has to do with what weapons Kyler Murray just doesn't have. He already doesn't have Hopkins. We know about that, okay? We know that he lost Christian Kirk in the offseason. We know that they lost a lot of defensive players in the offseason. Well, now James Conner is banged up. He doesn't look like he's going to play. It looks like Zach Ertz is still banged up. And they're just, well, look, they're, they're, they're banged up and they're looking for weapons anywhere. I mean, Kyler Murray is averaging just 5.7 yards per attempt. He can't move the ball downfield. He's got a bunch of guys on this team that are struggling to get going. I, I, look, I want to like the Rams again, but I liked them last week against what should have been a pathetic Atlanta team that all of a sudden is playing well. Speaking of, the Atlanta Falcons, they are 0-2, but they're playing well at 0-2, and the Seahawks are 1-1. They came back to earth. The opening line was the Seahawks were going to be a four-point favorite. It's down to two. People are starting to buy into this Falcons team, and how do you not? I mean, they're they're doing this without Kyler, Kyle Pitts. I know every fantasy manager is upset about that, but Drake London looks good. They ran for 200 yards in the first game. They're able to move the ball on the ground, even though they don't have the regular running backs, Algier and Patterson. That's who they're relying upon, and Marcus Mariota is scrambling around and making things happen. Marcus Mariota is playing really well. Maybe it's because he's got Desmond Ritter, you know, breathing down his neck, and maybe it's because, look, he took a year off. But in this Atlanta situation, he's playing well. And the Atlanta Falcons defensive backs have actually played well as well. Look, don't look too much into it that Cooper Cup went crazy because Cooper Cup goes crazy against everybody. But outside of that, Atlanta's played really well defensively. I'm very impressed with this team. Well, what about Seattle? Seattle played great in week one getting the win, but did they really? Because Denver had the ball four times inside the 20-yard line, and they fumbled it twice on the one-yard line. And then Seattle last week got absolutely blown out. Their doors destroyed and blown out. And you could argue that it was the Jimmy Garoppolo thing, but the Niners beat them up and down the field. They couldn't get anything working on either side. Rashad Penny couldn't get any running room, and he's the guy that you had to kind of count on. The Falcons are 2-0 against the spread. And Atlanta, look, they put up 27 points on Aaron Donald, Jalen Ramsey, and Sean McVay's defense. Seattle doesn't have those kind of players, as good as Brooks has been. No, they don't. Seattle, they just got seven points last week, and their offense completely stalled. Now in two straight weeks, their offense is completely stalled. Atlanta, 6-2-1 and one against the spread of the last nine road games. And Seattle, look, they do have that home field advantage where they're 5-2 and two against the spread of the last seven games at Lumen Field. They have a huge home field advantage. But will it matter in this spot? Because you look at the Atlanta Falcons. This is the kind of team that can take the air out of the ball. We mentioned their running ability. And that kind of stifles a crowd. First of all, how pumped up is this crowd going to be about a Seattle team that's supposed to have a down year and a Seattle team that's now taking on Atlanta? It's not going to be the loudest crowd in there. So that that really is a question mark. Plus, look, we keep talking about oh, how great they are, and I can give you stats and trends and against the spread numbers about the Seattle Seahawks, but they don't have Russell Wilson there. Right? I mean, they just don't have him there. So that has to matter. That has to mean something in, in the grand totality of everything. You can't look at this team as the same kind of team. Packers are 1-1. One one. They did what they always do, which is beat the Bears at, Green, at Lambeau and Green Bay. Yeah, that's just what they do. And the Bucks are 2-0, and oh, despite Tom Brady looking bad, the offense looking horrible, no receivers on the field. Doesn't matter. They're 2-0. and oh, They're getting it done by their defense. Devin White is putting up an absolute show. You want to talk about defensive MVP, Devin White's got to be right there. 
Tampa Bay, the line opened up at three. It's about two and a half. It's about what it is. We expect that. Mike Evans might miss this game. He was suspended one game for his part in that brawl by throwing down Lattimore and getting involved there. But he is appealing the suspension, so we'll know if the appeal could hold it out and mean, uh, yeah, I probably will play in this game. I expect him to miss the next game down the road. Green Bay. Look, Green Bay's 0-4 against the spread on the road. They don't play well on the road. Aaron Rodgers particularly doesn't play well in Florida. Of the one of those weird situations, this is what I read this week. Look, he's gone 3-5 and in Florida. He's, he's 0-2 in Florida since 2020. He's thrown four interceptions, and he's only thrown six interceptions in 30 games outside of Florida. So he just doesn't like it. And you have to think about the, the weather. Look, it's gross. It's muggy. It's nasty down there. Maybe Rodgers doesn't play well there. The Bucs, they play well at home, and they play well against the NFC with their 5-1 and one against the spread. Rodgers, 1-3 all-time against Brady. This is going to be billed as Brady against Rodgers all day long. It always is. I get it. They need to sell subscriptions. They need to sell the, the TV viewer. They need to sell advertising. I get why it's going to be billed as, oh, man, it's Aaron Rodgers against Tom Brady. But it's not really. Look, they're both of these defenses are leading the way. And not only the defenses, it's also the running attack. We've got to look at what they can do on the ground. Leonard Fournette is tearing people apart. Leonard Fournette is the main cog here. Look, you're missing three offensive linemen. Mike Evans might be out. Godwin is banged up. They went out and picked up Cole Beasley this week because they just don't even have enough receivers to field the team with Julio Jones being out. Tom Brady's looking for weapons. He's looking for something. He's looking for anything to help him out out there. Tom Brady's going back to pass, and he's just trying to fire it away right away so he doesn't get killed. The offensive line is a problem. So what are they doing? They are running with Leonard Fournette. They're getting him out in space. They're using him a lot more effectively, and it is helping this whole situation that you have with Brady and what's going on. Well, on the other side, it's the same thing. The Green Bay defense is fantastic. The Green Bay defense is stepping up, but it's also the running game where we watched against the, against the Bears. Aaron Rodgers didn't light the Chicago Bears up, and Aaron Rodgers in week one was absolutely pathetic, and it was just run all day. Dylan and Jones, Dylan and Jones, Dylan and Jones, and they're becoming that defensive-minded team, that running ball control team, and it looks like so is Tampa Bay. This is two Hall of Famers battling each other. Most people think it's two top 10 quarterbacks all time. Some people think it's two top five quarterbacks all time battling each other. The over-under is set at 41 and a half. It'll tell you the state of what these two quarterbacks are really dealing with. It's no more gunslinging. It's no more up and down the field. It's no more high flying. It's run the ball with Fournette, run the ball with Dylan, run the ball with James, and play superior defense. And both of these teams are doing exactly that. All right, let's talk Niners Broncos. Uh, by the way, I'm going to have some guys on from 95-7, the game in San Francisco, on this week on Wanna Bet Weekend Edition Sunday to talk about the Trey Lance-Jimmy Garoppolo situation. Niners come in at 1-1, one and one, Broncos come in at 1-1. One and one. You can sit back and, and kind of have this conversation all you want about who should have started, what, what, what the situation was, but you had to feel by watching that game just the team gel around Jimmy G. We talked about this in the preseason. I think the team wanted Jimmy G. I think that Trey Lance is kind of forced down their throat. And I think that you look at Trey Lance and you go, yeah, he's uber talented. But this is a veteran-laden team that believe that they're winning a Super Bowl this year. They believe that their window to win a Super Bowl is right in front of them. And they don't want to be led by a guy like Trey Lance that he's the future 
but we're talking about the now. So Jimmy goes in there. I think San Francisco got a spark. And the line shows it, by the way. The Niners were plus two. Now they're minus two, one and a half or two, depending on where you're looking against this Broncos team. San Francisco, 6-1 and one against the spread of the last seven games, 4-1 and one against the spread of the last five uh, road games. So they play well. We know Shanahan. We know the Denver connection. That, yeah, look, it's not going to be played up anymore really big, but it's still got to last out there. This Broncos team is a mess. Their offense looks terrible. They managed just 16 points against Houston after what they just did against Seattle. You might look up, and I know that Houston's played well and Seattle's played well, but it's still very possible that at the end of the year, you look up at defensive rankings and you're going to watch Houston and Seattle be in the bottom five. Okay? And the only reason they're not dead last might be because what they did to the Broncos. Nathaniel Hackett's a disaster. The Broncos are 0-2. Russell Wilson looks lost. Nathaniel Hackett's terrible. I, I screamed and yelled about Nathaniel Hackett with the day that he was hired. And people said, well, you're just a Bears fan. You just hate him because he's from Green Bay. No, the guy is a clown. He's a terrible, terrible coach. He lost the first game, and we all saw exactly what happened in the first game. But in the second game, look, they had to take a timeout because the punt team wasn't out there. Russell Wilson is, is looks confused. It was a disaster. Javante Williams was averaging 6.7 yards per carry at that point in the game. And they decided to give a carry to a guy that didn't get a carry all year and try to convert a, a crucial third down and one. Didn't get it done. Javante Williams is averaging five yards per carry right now. He only got 15 carries in the entire game. It doesn't make any sense. Russell Wilson completed 45% of his passes, and they just kept letting Russ cook. I mean, that's what they're doing here. Maybe Carroll was on to something. Give Russ a defense. Give Russ a running game, and Russ could be effective. Let Russ cook, and this is what you see, because this looks terrible. Not only that, forget about the Russell Wilson aspect, that he looks terrible. Javante Williams is not being used effectively. All of this I could scream and yell about all day because Nathaniel Hackett is a train wreck. But you want to talk about bad coaching? Here's bad coaching. The Broncos had 13 penalties for 100 yards last week. They lead the NFL in delay of games. They lead the NFL in false starts. They lead the NFL in total offensive penalties. This is a train wreck team. This is a poorly coached team that is completely undone. There's a great line in Tin Cup, okay? It's one of my favorite mo mo sports movies of all time. And he says, he's talking about golf, and he says, my swing feels like an unfolded lawn chair. Nathaniel Hackett's offense, led by Russell Wilson, feels like an unfolded lawn chair. It's terrible. Now, you can go back to Wilson's history, and you can say, well, when he faces the Niners, he does really well. He's 17-4 and all-time against the Niners. This isn't the Seahawks defense. This isn't the Seahawks with Russell Wilson. There's nothing that the Denver Broncos have shown you to say that they should be even be considered in this game, but we do know the talent, and I will go back to that talent level often here. The talent is certainly there. Russell Wilson has those guys. Now, Jerry Judy going down certainly hurts, and I don't know if K.J. Hamler is going to be back in time for this one, but the talent is certainly there. Williams and Gordon are both talented players. Albert O still has plenty of talent. Wilson himself has plenty of talent. Cortland Sutton is a number one receiver. They have talent, and defensively, by the way, Chubb is talented. Sertain is one of the top 10 corners in the league. They have the talent, but they are being led by a clown. On the other side, look, San Francisco, they're also banged up. George Kittle being out is a major problem because of their blocking ability. They also lost Eli Mitchell. They also lost the rookie running back behind him. So it's going to be Jeff Wilson, they're calling up Sermon, or, or uh, 
Mason, Sermon's gone. They're calling up Mason from the practice squad, basically, to be the number two there on a run-first team that's missing a blocker, a run-first team that's now on a backup to a backup and running backs. You could be giving the ball to a fifth stringer back there, and Jimmy Garoppolo is not exactly fleet of foot. So there are problems on both teams here, and I get that Denver should be the home favorite because, look, they are at home and it makes sense. But I'm telling you, you cannot get me to go and bet on a Nathaniel Hackett team. No way. And this is not out of the ordinary. This is kind of what I expected. I thought Denver had enough talent to squeak into the playoffs. But people that were talking about the division, people that were talking about the Super Bowl, like, do you know who the coach is? I mean, do, do, do you know who the coach is? Because this guy doesn't know what he's doing. All right, let's go to Monday night. A lot of Cowboy fans are going to say that this guy doesn't know what he's doing with their head coach. But the Cowboys are 1-1. One one. Giants are 2-0. and oh. Cowboys avoided that a dreaded 0-2. And, and Cooper Rush played well. Look, this line opened up with the Cowboys were supposed to be three, three-and-a-half-point favorites. Now it's the Giants as a three-point favorite. It has completely flipped the script, obviously, because Dak is out. And I, I, when I saw Dak go down... I said, okay, I, I can't wait to see what the market's going to do here because Cooper Rush can play in this league. The last time we saw Cooper Rush, he came back against Minnesota. He looked really good, targeted CeeDee Lamb all day long, and he got the win, a comeback win. Well, he played well. Cooper Rush threw for 235 yards. He had a touchdown. He played well. And once again, Cooper Rush did something that you expect him to do. He got the win. I mean, he got the win. Now, you look at the Cowboys and you go, what kind of team are they? Well, they're defense first team. They're going to start running with Ezekiel Elliott. I said Pollard had to be part of the game plan more, and they did. And the Dallas Cowboys defense has been fantastic, okay? Cowboys might be one and one, right? But they do have one of the best defenses in the league. Over the past two weeks, they held the Buccaneers and the Bengals, all right? Yeah, I know that they both have offensive line problems, but they held the Bucs and the Bengals both to under 20 points. No matter who you're, no matter who you're facing, that is absolutely huge. The Dallas Cowboys also absolutely own this series. In the last ten meetings, Dallas has won nine of ten. Right? Dallas has also eight and two against the spread over that span, and they're four and one against the spread in New York. Now you can sit back and tell me it's a new New York team because the Giants are certainly two and zero, and Brian Dable has them perfect against the spread two and zero. And the Giants have looked really good. And Saquon Barkley has looked absolutely fantastic. The Giants, though, look, they're averaging just 20 points per game over the last two weeks. It's not like they're offensive explosion. They're leaning on Barkley, which they should do, because Daniel Jones had, had a QBR last week of 37.3. He didn't throw an interception, completed 65% of his passes, so it'll tell you how bad he was. They're going to have to go with Saquon Barkley. Leonard Fournette averaged over six yards per carry against the Cowboys. So they can run the ball. You can absolutely run it. Giants, by the way, have also lost six straight Monday night games. I know it's tough on Monday night football in prime time to take a shot at Cooper Rush. I, I get it, okay? You got to bite your tongue and kind of just deal with that. The Giants are the favorite team here. People are loving it. People are falling all over themselves to take the Giants and to be all on top of the Giants. And here we go. It's Giants, Giants, Giants. Guys, the Cowboys are probably a live dog if it stays at three. Just because of the history. Just because of how this defense is playing. But I probably won't touch this game because I know that Saquon can carry the day. And I look at what Leonard Fournette did against this team. I look at how many carries. And if you watch the film, he got huge openings with a bad offensive line. Uh, the Giants' offensive line is better with, and, than what Tampa Bay has right now. And Saquon Barkley is more explosive than Leonard Fournette. 
So if they run the ball effectively, this looks like another low-scoring game. This could be another under, and it's sitting at a decent number. 40, 40 and a half is the total. I think a lot of people are going to pound the over. A lot of people are probably going to be upset by pounding that over. All right, guys, that's going to do it for me. Oh, man, week three is already here. I, I will tell you, there are certain things here, certain traps this week, but I am starting to really feel good about it. You guys, check it out. Look, I've been absolutely crushing it on my own. I hope you guys are winning a lot of money as well. I hope I can give you all the tidbits to make you some more money. Go check us out at sportsgarden.com. It's sportsgarden, G-A-R-T-E-N, hashtag S-G-N on all the social media platforms. We will be back, and you can bet on that. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.